0: the Lord, for Thy great plan That we Thy dwelling place may be
1: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry at the end of the program. We'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now we hope you enjoyed today's program. Many of the 39 books of the Old Testament touched the matter of the law The law generally refers to the commandments that God delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai after the children of Israel had their exodus from Egypt. And the impact that these laws have had, not just on God's people, but on all of Western civilization, is hard to overstate. God's people, both in the New and Old Testament eras, treasure the law of God. But there is a key word in the New Testament that reveals something crucial concerning God's entire economy and how the law relates to it in Romans 5:20, it says and the law entered in alongside that the offense might abound what does it mean that the law entered in alongside well we'll discuss this and many more items related to the law and the central focus of God's economy on today's program and we're Always happy to have Bob Danker alongside. (laughs) It's good to be alongside, Chris,
2: especially in relation to this wonderful matter of the law. You know, when we look at the law in the Old Testament, now we are the New Testament people. We're not in the Old Testament, but we can look at the law, and we, we need to look at it in a very clear and sober way. We need to understand why God gave the law, what its function is, uh, what its position is in the entire economy of God, and we need to know what it can and can't do. Right. So actually, we, we really need a clear vision of the law and the role that it plays in the accomplishing of God's economy. We can't exalt the law beyond what
1: it should be exalted. Bob, we're here at the very beginning stages now, our second program in the life study of uh, the book of Psalms. Many of the Psalms uh, touch the law. There is a stark contrast presented to us just in the first two pages of the Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And Psalm 1, uh, as we will see, exalts the law. And Psalm 2 has another point of emphasis, doesn't it?
2: It does. Uh, Psalm 2 actually does not exalt the law. It exalts Christ. So what we have here is, in the first two Psalms is a contrast between the law and the appreciation of the law and the appreciation of those who keep the law or at least endeavor to keep the law. And then you have in Psalm 2 the wonderful Christ uh, and his uh, role in God's economy and the two are in contrasting positions to one another. It's quite a striking thing but we need
1: revelation in order to see it. We touched something as we began. I know that it was probably a fresh consideration for a lot of our listeners. I think we should uh, maybe refer to it again today because I think it's key uh, to understand how Witness Lee approached this life study of this important and popular book, the book of the Psalms. All of the Psalms, as every verse of the Bible, is God's Word. Every word is God inspired. We would say, uh, quoting Paul in the New Testament, every word is God breathed. Uh, and so we treasure and esteem every word as God's word. Yet, the first psalm conveys more of the human concept or human thought, whereas Psalm 2 is really conveying the divine thought. Visit this point as we begin today. Yes, Chris,
2: I appreciate your opening this matter up in that way. Actually, we agree, and I think all Christians, genuine believers agree, every word of the Bible is inspired or breathed out from God. But we all have to admit that not every word in the Bible represents the thought of God. Some words come from, for instance, in Genesis 3, you have the word of Satan when he came Mm -hmm. to Eve in the garden. His thought is not God's thought, but nevertheless it is of God that the words of Satan are recorded. And throughout the Bible, many times what we read is not the thought of God or from the mind of God, but is from man's natural thought or from man's own sentiment or inner feeling in his relationship with God. This doesn't necessarily represent God's viewpoint. So we would say that, for instance, the Psalm 1, uh, the first Psalm here, which exalts the law, if we consider the entire Bible in relation to the law, we would have to say this represents the human concept. Because in God's economy, the law shouldn't be exalted. It should be Christ who is exalted. So we would have to say Psalm 2 represents the divine concept, Psalm 1 represents the human concept. And so from this perspective, we can consider all the Psalms. Right one after another, and with the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and under the Lord's anointing, we can realize some of the psalms express the human thought and the human concept, and some really unveil
1: the divine revelation. In this first section, Bob witnessly will, I think, present a very strong case concerning how Paul viewed the law, and I'll read just a couple of verses here to help put this in perspective. I already read 520 in Romans, which uh, says the law entered in alongside. Let's look at Galatians 2.16, and knowing that a man is not justified out of works of law, and in Romans 7, verse 11, it says, For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it Killed me. So no flesh is justified by the law, Bob, and even the law can kill, according to Paul's word in the New Testament. Here's Witness Lee.
0: Psalm 1. This psalm is on the law. There are two schools concerning the law. One school is passive, the other school is more than negative. And I must tell you, the top one in the negative school. Is Paul the Apostle. He was very, very negative, negative to the uttermost. I'd just like to point out some of the points he stressed in his teaching concerning the law. Number one, in Romans and in Galatians, Paul stressed at least five times in telling us that no flesh can be justified. God, by the work of the law. In Romans 7, he told us that the law, instead of giving us life, it kills us. The law kills. But you may see Paul did also tell us in Romans 7, the law is holy, the law is righteous, the law is good, and the law is spiritual. But this is only in its nature. In nature. The law is holy, and the law is righteous, and the law is good, and the law is even spiritual. But it's possession. What is the possession of the law? Paul tells us in Galatians 4 that Abraham had two wives. One is the orthodox wife, the other is the concubine. Paul says... Sarah signifies the grace of the new covenant. Hagar symbolized the law for the first covenant. So this indicates that the law's position is that of a concubine. Paul, in Romans 5.20, told us that the law entered alongside. You see, to come in alongside. It doesn't come in by itself. It came in alongside. This means there was the main line there already. God, in his economy, did plan to have a man receive him as life, to leave him and to manifest him. But Satan came in. Now, God had to face the situation. Would God give up his plan? Forget about man? Of course, God would never do that because he is the Alpha, and he has to be also the Omega. So God put in something, added something. That was the concubine to come in. So the law was something that entered into the situation alongside the main line of God's economy.
1: Bob, this is a thought that is really worth our while to get into and consider. The law, according to Paul in Galatians, has the position of a concubine, and in Romans he tells us that it entered in alongside. What does that tell us about the law, and what does it also imply about what really is the central line? That's right, Chris. This is a very crucial
2: word concerning the law. In this section, Brother Lee points out that the law in its nature is holy, righteous, good, and spiritual. Yeah. Because it is God's word. Right. It comes from God. Of course, it will be in nature. It will be something very positive. But what is the position of the law in God's economy? There's no doubt that the law was added by God along the way. It was not there in the beginning. According to Paul's word, it came in alongside. That means there's already a line running forward, and then the law comes in alongside this line, this main line of God's economy. And again, according to Galatians 4, the law represented by Hagar, the concubine of Abraham, has a unorthodox position in God's economy. Yeah. Sarah, who signifies grace, represents the main line in God's economy. And the main line in God's economy is that God desires to be grace to man. God wants man to receive him as grace, as life, so that man can live by God as his life and live out God and become the very expression of God. Of course, such a living, which is the expression of God, will more than adequately satisfy the requirements of the law because it's God himself living within us and living himself out of us. This is the main line in God's economy. But because man fell and became flesh, a fallen humanity, and he did not realize his real condition, God had to come in to do something to face the situation. He never would abandon his original intention, he would never give up the main line of his economy, but in order for his economy to go forward, he brought something in alongside, and that thing was the law. So the law does not have a orthodox or a permanent position in the economy of God. It was not there in the beginning. It was brought in alongside. It had a temporary function to do something that would enable God to continue and carry out his economy with man along the main line which he
1: had established in the very beginning. That's really good. The temporary function of the law is what we want to uh, come to in this next portion. The two books, Romans and Galatians, Bob, probably in the New Testament, have the most to say, don't they, about the law? Paul touched it in other places, but these seem to be the two books where he really uh, brought this matter into a clear view. In Galatians uh, chapter 3, I'll read a couple verses here, verses 23 and 24, that help us to see what this function, this temporary function... Uh, of the law is but before faith came we were guarded under law being shut up unto the faith which was to be revealed so then the law has become our child conductor unto Christ that we might be justified out of faith marvelous topic to see the law as a child conductor Bob and Witness Lee will touch that in this next portion
0: the content of the law mainly was the 10 commandment The Ten Commandments are so brief, yet so complete. So all covering. Covering our relationship with God, and covering our relationship with our parents, and covering our relationship with others, and one with another. If you just don't kill people, you don't commit fornication, you don't steal and rob, you don't tell lie, you don't covet, you are a top ethical person. Yes, the commandments are gold in nature, holy, righteous, good, and spiritual, but the function is something else. The function of the law is to expose men in their sinful nature and evil deeds. This is good, just like a piece of mirror. You couldn't see your face. You just look at the mirror. The mirror exposes the law is a peace mirror to expose your sinful nature and your evil deeds. Then, secondly, the law was used by God to guard his chosen people and escort them to Christ. These are the words used by Paul. Paul did use some words to tell us before Christ came, God gave his children people the law as a guardian. And then when Christ came, this guardian escorted these little children to Christ. Very good. You were exposed by the law. You were subdued by the law. You were convinced by the law. Then you would go with the law to Christ. Thirdly, to subdue man, as sinners under God's judgment. This is very good. In this sense, law is gold. If you stay in the Psalms from 1 to 150, you could not get this kind of light. This light comes altogether from Paul's teaching. This is all taught by Paul.
1: Uh, Bob, I heard many times from Witness Lee that uh, the key to the Bible is to interpret the Bible with or from the Bible. Uh, We're really seeing that, aren't we, here in this unveiling or opening up of this uh, Old Testament book through the lens of Paul's word in the New Testament. Three functions here, at least, that we just saw. Why don't you touch these three related to the function of the law, the actual function. Yes, Chris. Actually, in Romans 3,
2: verse 20, where Paul wrote that no flesh could be justified out of the works of the law... It says, through the law is the clear knowledge of sin. This means that the function of the law is that man would have the clear knowledge of sin. The law functions as a mirror or like a mirror. When we look into the mirror of the law, we see how sinful we are. Yeah. Otherwise, we would not recognize how utterly sinful we are. So the first function of the law is to expose men In their sinful nature, inwardly, and their evil deeds outwardly, Uh like a mirror. Then the second function is marvelous. This is according to Galatians. The law was used by God to guard his people as a guard, to keep them in custody until Christ came. That was in the Old Testament time. And then when Christ did come, the law escorts God's people to Christ. This so is the, this term, child conductor. A child conductor, like a child conductor. When a child is underage, he needs a guardian to guard him, and then he needs an escort to bring him to school, right? for instance, so he could be taught. Well, here the, the law is both a guard or a guardian and an escort to bring God's chosen people to Christ. So eventually Christ came at the beginning of the New Testament, and the law in the Old Testament escorted all the people of God to this wonderful Christ. And thirdly, uh, the law subdues all men and convicts them as sinners under the judgment of God. This is all the function of the law. On one hand, it has a positive function. But on the other hand, the function is rather related to sin, (laughs) something quite negative, to expose it and then to guard us, to keep us until Christ comes and to bring us to Christ when he does come and finally to subdue us under God's judgment so that we will lose all hope in ourselves and we will believe into Christ as the unique one in God's
1: economy. When you read uh, Romans now with this kind of understanding, it, it really makes uh, what many people consider to be a difficult book, a hard book to understand, a lot more apprehendable. Because this is Paul's experience. He was utterly defeated by the law. He was exposed by the law. He was condemned by the law. But yet it brought him to Christ in chapter 8. And I think that is the, the, the picture that's laid out before all of us. It has this same kind of function in varying degrees. But we all have to confess without the law, we're ignorant, aren't we, concerning our own condition. And without the law, many of us would never have really had the desperation to find Christ. That's right, Chris. But what it can't do, as we'll see in this next section... It cannot give life, and it cannot fulfill God's promise. Here's Witness Lee for our final portion.
0: Now, we come to its weakness. Law is good, spiritual, but it is weak. Number one, not able to give life. Regardless how good, how holy, how spiritual the law is, the law cannot impart life to us. We are not only evil, we are dead. We sinners are dead people. The basic thing we need is life. The good law, the spiritual law, the righteous law, the uh, holy law. They're all good, but they could not impart life into us. Number two, not able to do that which God wants, because the law is weak through the flesh. Maybe the law itself is not that weak, but the law is given to the flesh. And the flesh is his kind of a companion. The law is not that weak, but his companion, the flesh, is too weak. Think about how weak you are. Number three, all the works of the law, no flesh to be justified before God. At least twice the same word repeated in Romans and three times in Galatians. The law was the center and requirements of the Old Covenant. And this law and the requirement of the Old Covenant is to be performed by man's work. The law has to be performed. Without performance, the law means nothing. Now, you have to compare. Christ's attainments concerning the accomplishment of the kingdom of God in Psalm 2. You compare these two, no comparison. Psalm 1 is for personal benefits of the saints. And Psalm 2 is for the accomplishment of the economy of God. That is too high, too great.
1: Bob, we don't have a lot of time left, but we, we have to see this comparison. Uh, Psalm 1 begins with Blessed is the man who meditates upon the law day and night, uh, very much geared towards our self individually isn't it but psalm 2 presents us with something utterly different it does it presents us with christ who is
2: absolutely for god's economy god has an economy god has an eternal plan and his plan is to impart himself as life into mankind into all those who have been redeemed by christ so that these men could be filled with God as life and could live God and become the expression of God in a corporate way. This is God's economy. The law cannot fulfill such an economy. The main reason it cannot is because it cannot give life. It can only make demands. The law makes demands upon man, but it cannot impart the divine eternal life to man to enable man to fulfill God's purpose. It's utterly weak in this matter, and the law has to be carried out by the flesh, and the flesh is the fallen man whose nature is absolutely contrary to God and to God's holy, righteous, good, and spiritual law. So it's an impossible situation here with the law. As long as we stay with the law, we'll be like Paul in Romans 7, a wretched man. But if we come to Christ... In Psalm 2, our situation will be absolutely different. We will gain the very eternal life that we need to fulfill God's economy because Christ is the unique one who can impart life to us. And Christ is the one who enables us to live a life that fulfills the eternal purpose of God. So we must abandon the law and we must come (laughs) to Christ
1: absolutely and fully. You know, there's a wonderful passage in the New Testament that illustrates a lot of this. I think the story we know quite well, Bob, Peter and the other disciples uh, taken by the Lord to the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Lord unveils himself in glory there to them. And of course, present F for this occasion are Moses and Elijah. And Peter has a wonderful thought. So good to be here. Let's build tabernacles, Lord, to you, to Moses and Elijah. This really indicates that in Peter's view, the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. We're on an equal plane with the Lord Jesus. And I would have to say, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us may have this same problem, don't we? I agree with that, Chris. We need to enter into God's divine view. Well, only him. Hear him was the Father's response uh, to Peter at such a time. So we will continue to try to emphasize hearing him as we continue on. Good start to this life study of uh, the Psalms. Bob, hope you can join us many times. We hope you'll contact us also so that you can get the printed messages Please call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today.
0: Dear Lord, we give ourselves to Thee. Receive us into Thy wise hands.
1: You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org. Or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.